to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Arthur Stone. And with me, as always, is your co-host, Andy Hart. Hello, listeners. Hello, listeners, my old friend. We're here to talk to you again. And what are we here to talk to them about, Andy? We're here to talk to them about Kubrick. How he possibly faked the moon landing. And he hid... A message in the shining. Everyone's seen. It's the sound of this podcast. Listeners, wow. Let's just clap it up. That's me clapping. Uh, <laughs> that clapping sound you hear. That clapping, clapping sound you hear. Incredible. Incredible, Andy. That was beautiful. That was on the fly. Um, listeners, we're here to talk today about I want to I want to preface this. I want to make sure people get it. We're not here to just talk about the moon landing hoax conspiracy, which is its own separate big topic. We're here to talk about a branch of that topic that Stanley Kubrick helped film a fake moon landing conspiracy and put messages and clues in his movie The Shining. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right. That's what we're here to talk about. Now, if you're interested in getting right to that topic, as always, you can do that because we leave the research timestamp in the, every episode's show description. So check your podcasting app, whatever it may be, and look for that in the show notes. Look for the exact time where we begin our research. But Because we're going to do a little intro first. We're going to do our little, our little spiel, our little gimmick that we like to do. We're going to shoehorn in the bit. And then we're, we're going to get bit. down to business. That's right. If you just want to get down to business because you don't like bits, hit that timestamp. Hit that timestamp. Um, listeners, every week, you know it, Mr. Bunker captures us in some new and wacky way and brings us down to the bunker. Mm. Uh, what a rough stallion. Here to, we're here to talk about it. Yeah. Um, Andy? Well, Art. Uh, I had a rather unpleasant trip to Uh the bunker this week. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, And actually, my story begins last night. Okay. Um, As I frequently do, I left my wife and son at home and went out to a restaurant by myself uh, to get away from them. (laughs) Got to get away. (laughs) Got to recharge. Everybody needs time to themselves. Daddy needs his alone time. And I went to a a local restaurant um, and I was having a meal and I was immediately put off uh, when the server came to my table because the server was none other than the titular Mr. Bunker. You're kidding. Just right out of the blue. And he wasn't dressed in any kind of a costume. He was wearing, I mean, the outfit of a server at this restaurant. Right. Uh, but he was not, um, hiding his face, obscuring anything. Uh, he's just right out in the open. Um, he, um, was, I assumed that I was going to be captured. Uh, and rather than fleeing the restaurant though, I did the, uh, the right thing. And I freaking nutted up and sat through the whole meal uh, cause I'm a tough guy and this is like a gangster movie. And you know what? He actually did a pretty nice job as a server. Um, I was having a Sprite 
And he it's sipped a, it. Is Siri Mist okay? <laughs> but yeah, it's right. It's not okay. Uh, he kept it refilled. Uh, wow. Time and water. Wow. I never had to ask. Uh, he was he was present. He was there for me. He was not um, too in my face, though. He let me enjoy the meal. What'd you have? Uh, I had uh, one of my all-time favorites, uh, linguine and clam sauce. Wow. Um, you know, linguine and clams. Uh, white sauce, white wine sauce, you know. Yes. Um, and it was it was a nice it was a nice experience. Um, and then I this morning, I woke up with um about four thirty in the morning with like um absolutely horrendous diarrhea, <laughs> and there it is. I there it is. Start. <laughs> vomiting oh, oh god obviously i mean it's like it's a good thing let me just say this it's a good thing that our tub is near the toilet because <laughs> it was coming out of both ends simultaneously good god and i'm so sick i'm like oh my god i'm just gonna go to the emergency room because it's you know a sunday and my doctor's not in the office and uh i go um i go to the emergency room um and um, you know, in the hospital, there's a lot of, if you've ever been to the emergency room, you know, there's a lot of like other people around an emergency room, other right. than patients and doctors and right. nurses, you know, there's sometimes like, um, police officers or firefighters or whatever. It's like other emergency personnel. Sure. Um, and so it's not uncommon to see uh, an EMT, an emergency medical technician there. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm in agony waiting uh to see waiting to be triaged at the um emergency room and this EMT uh comes up and sees that I'm struggling and loads me onto a gurney and I think they're going to like take me back into the you know to see a doctor right away okay um but it's it was actually bunker was the EMT ah and he just deposited me into a windowless ambulance <laughs> <laughs> and then drove back here to the bunker. <laughs> I mean, I, oh God! So, so you're still feeling pretty ill? Oh, I'm still sick. Oh, so if we have to pause, it's because I have diarrhea or vomiting. <laughs> no wonder the bunker toilet, which famously, if you've been keeping track, listeners, is in an open area near the kitchen <laughs> of the bunker. Uh, there's no. There's no stall. There's no nothing blocked. He fed me bad clams. Uh, purposefully bad clams. Your favorite dish. My, yeah. You And you overloaded the bunker toilet. Yeah. What did I do to deserve this? This is, you're paying for your sins too, fella. I haven't done anything. It's you. Look, all my sin was, was wanting to have a good meal. No, you constantly challenge him and you berate him and you call him out live on the air. Well, my days of calling him out are done. And now I'm paying for it. Because I've got diarrhea like you wouldn't believe, like <laughs> apocalyptic diarrhea. Uh, apocalypse diarrhea. Uh, crush, soul crushing, just. <laughs> the awful. existential dread of diarrhea. Yeah. Uh, if, uh, if this was a uh, Pepto-Bismol commercial, like I would be the before guy, but like. Times 50. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, Andy, I'm sorry for what you're going through. I I wish there was something we could do, but I, listeners, you should feel sorry for me. 
Yeah, feel sorry for Art. <laughs> he only eats good clams and has fine. I don't eat clams. Health. Has fine digestive health. He doesn't get diarrhea. Well, Andy, I take care of my gut biome. Well, I load it with as much meat as possible, and then I get the poops. Jeez. Uh, listeners, Andy, you know what? I think some of the stank coming out of his rear end is starting to affect his brain, and he's a little grumpy. All right, I'm a grouch, sure. He's a little grouchy. He, he, he didn't get to have his favorite meal, and it made him sick. He thought, you know, Andy, you thought, oh, Jeez. All over the recording area. Ah. Oh, he's got a lollipop. Get that lollipop out of your mouth. Oh, you're up again. Put the lollipop back in. I think it's helping. It tastes like vomit. Good God, that's disgusting. Uh, Listeners, if you're still with us. <laughs> and why wouldn't you be? Uh, Andy, mine is a little bit more whimsical. Mine's a little bit more fun in the fun. Well, maybe, fun maybe not. Fun. fun in the fun. Andy, are you familiar with the Harry Potter series? The franchise? Yeah, I'm it's not some, familiar in, in what sense? You get some of the of tropes. Okay, probably. You've never read the books. I've never read. I read the first book. You've never seen the films. I probably not all the way through any single it, film. Wasn't your time. <laughs> no, my time is coming. <laughs> Just ask my doctor. That, yeah, with that diarrhea. No, what I'm saying is is that your generation didn't really grow up on these books, but mine did. Yeah. Um, we're we're only a few years apart, but those books came out right like they and they were directed exactly towards my age. So anybody who's my age, twenty seven. You kind of like the 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 Harry Potter books were were coming out right directly towards you, and you probably read every single one and seen every movie. Mm-hmm. Now, Andy, you might not be familiar with it, but in the movie, in the first books, you you read the first books, so you'll understand this. Is that Harry, the titular Harry Potter, gets a letter in the mail that says. You're a magical little wizard boy, and you get to go to Hogwarts, the magical school for wizard boys and girls. Um, Now, he gets these letters. They're delivered by an owl. They're magical letters. His evil, mean aunt and uncle say, pish posh to that. They're muggles. They're Mm non-magical people. Um, they, uh, They don't want Harry going to that magical Hogwarts school, but then eventually his whole house just gets flooded with these letters that he has to go to Hogwarts, mm-hmm. School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Well, Andy, I think anyone who's my age knows it's kind of it was kind of your dream to one day get that letter to go to Hogwarts, and it happened for me. I got a letter in the mail that said, Arthur, you're a wizard. You're a wizard, Arthur. <laughs> and listen, Andy, you might be laughing at me because you think that's that's ridiculous. Why would you believe that art? But you you didn't grow up with these books. You didn't understand. You got it in the mail. You get it in the mail, just like everyone else did. Okay. You get a, a nice letter, beautiful letter, stamped with a wax seal. Wow. The the exact ostentatious. Oh yeah, and and there was something weird with the ink that the ink could move and transform. 
And that's what made me think this was a this was a letter to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Now, Andy, you might not remember this, but in order to go to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, you have to go to platform nine and three quarters mm-hmm. and you have to run into the wall. Mm-hmm. Do you tell and then the wall is a portal, it teleports you to the wizard realm world, and then you take the magical wizard train. I don't mm-hmm. remember the name of the train. The Hogwarts Express. You know, I got an express way to get Hogwarts. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. I go outside and there's a magic broom there. Uh-huh. And this broom is floating. Uh-huh. And I'm like, Phew. You're a real Quidditch player. I'm huh? a real Quidditch player. I get on the broom, it literally flies me. And I spat across the room at you. My apologies. Maybe I'm contracting some of your <laughs> violent uh Vomit diarrhea. Well, if you're combo. the contractor who did this to me, then I'm going to sue you. <laughs> it takes me to a train platform. Okay. Uh, so it just takes me to a regular L platform. <laughs> That's the closest thing. Red line, nine a, and three a red, quarters. A red line, nine and three quarters. And I'm ready. I'm thinking, this is it. Here I go. And I run at the wall and I get knocked out cold. Mm-hmm. Turns out, there never was a magical letter. It was a letter that Mr. Bunker sent me with some weird illusionary ink, a visible ink sort of trick. It never was a magic broom. It was held by wires and I just never saw it. Wow. You And there never was a magic portal. He just made me run into a wall. Confirmation bias. Speaking of it, there it is. Rears its ugly head. You wanted so bad to be a wizard. You're willing to believe a broom that was clearly being manipulated. By Part of me should have Mr. known, Bunker. don't you think, Andy? Yeah. Because Hogwarts is bullshit. It's fictional. It's bullshit. Because let me tell you something about Hogwarts. I'm going to go on a Hogwarts rant real okay. quick. Please do. You weigh in on this. None of those kids used love potions. You got a bunch of horny little teens all cooped up and you give them unlimited power and none of them are using it to hook up with each other at all throughout the books. I mean, come on. Maybe maybe J.K. Rowling just chose not to write about it, although... None of them of, can use their magic powers to change the environment and make the environment better. Where's the conservation efforts, Hogwarts? You know, a school full of a bunch of rich kids with immense power, and not one of them uses it to get drugs? <laughs> Where are the drugs? I think this just underscores the difference between U.K. and U.S. Uh, cultures. <laughs> no, no, no. I think I think kids in the U.K. like drugs and sex. Just if as you're much in the as UK Americans. and you like drugs and sex, let us know. Tweet at us. You're telling me none of these kids fucking were like, these are teenagers we're talking about. When you're a teenager, you're full of hormones, you're very emotional. Not one of them used the death spell on somebody over like a petty piece of drama. I'm calling bullshit, Andy. That's <laughs> not high school. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, if you went to Hogwarts, your experience was severely limited because... <laughs> Uh, where is the hookups? These horny teens aren't hooking up. Uh, J.K. Rowling, we know you're listening. Art wants to see more horny teens in your movies, so <laughs> less stuff about how wizards uh shit their pants and use magic spells to clear it out, and more stuff about horny teens. I'm sick of the I'm sick of the lies. J.K. Rowling, J.K. J.K. Indeed. I was duped. I feel like a dummy. 
Yeah, that was pretty stupid. Well, listeners, if you think that's stupid, just wait, because you got a whole episode's worth <laughs> of stupidity. Yeah, but maybe not. Mm. Andy, we're talking about the uh, the Kubrick moon, moon landing hoax. You ever heard this before? Um, actually, I had not. Obviously, I have heard of the moon landing being fake. Right. Uh, but I never heard about Stanley Kubrick uh, being involved in shooting a phony moon landing and like revealing the whole thing in a movie. <laughs> that wasn't the actual thing that he filmed. You it's know. got some layers. There are some layers here. This is a real oniony topic. Now, listeners, obviously, in order to discuss this, we have to discuss the moon landing hoax. And I think... Kind of for the sake of argument, in a way, we almost have to say, like, okay, if the moon landing is true, then, you know, like, we're kind of almost saying, like, yes, the moon landing, or if the moon landing was faked. Right. We're kind of assuming that it's true in order to express this idea, because what we want to talk about we, is Stanley We have Kubrick. to assume that the moon landing right. was faked. So we're going to try our best not to spend as much time talking about the actual theories behind the moon landing being faked but more about stanley kubrick's role in it um so you know you'll get the hang of it listeners and also obviously and we're going to talk about this in the script uh, major spoilers for the plot of the movie the shining <laughs> so you know if you haven't seen that movie that's older than me uh you know do it before you listen to yeah, the rest of this maybe episode. pause pause and come back later um Anyway, listeners, here is... If you've been holding on, waiting to watch The Shining. <laughs> you've been just holding on, waiting. Um, oh, I haven't seen The Shining yet. I haven't <laughs> seen Citizen Kane yet. Don't ruin it for me. Stop saying Rosebud. <laughs> uh, listeners, here is the... the Stanley Kubrick faked the moon landing. Last off... make a movie all right art let me just grab the lube real quick and strip down to my jock strap not that kind of movie andy hmm. the kind of movie we're making is about two rugged jacked hogged out sleuths you and i hmm? yeah uncovering the truth about stanley kubrick's the shining andy the question we must answer the whole enchilada of information we must deliver to the listeners is this. Does Stanley Kubrick's horror masterpiece, The Shining, contain a hidden message about the moon landing hoax? But in order to answer this question, perhaps we should first unpack the basis of the conspiracy that the moon landing was faked. Now, listeners, we are not discussing the moon landing hoax at large, and we will one day devote a whole episode to it. Nonetheless, when we say the moon landing hoax, we of course are talking about the July 20th, 1969 NASA Apollo 11 space mission that landed American astronauts Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins on the moon. 
the first humans to ever walk the moon's surface. The mission took place during the height of the Cold War and, as we know, history is told by the victors and America was first in the space race. The Apollo space program lasted between 1961 to 1972 and saw a dozen astronauts successfully land on the moon and return home to Earth. The program saw 32 successful space launches as well. When everything was said and done, Earth was the most baller planet in the universe and America was its hogged out king. Everything was perfect. Except everything was not perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Record scratch. An estimated 8 million people watched the moon landing live on TV and almost immediately, many began to call it a hoax. And Andy saying dicks. That's that's what they did. And none called it hoax louder than William Casing. Casing was a former senior technical writer for a NASA contractor called Rocketdyne. (laughs) Baby. What a name. A company that manufactured engines. Casing self-published a book of his theories on the moon landing hoax in 1976 titled, We Never Went to the Moon, America's $30 Billion Swindle. You see... Casing was someone who believed a mission to the moon was simply not possible given the technology at the time. He he has, you know, I think he's not like a full-out denier. He kind of just feels like it was not technologically possible. I think that maybe we did go to the moon at some point, but what we saw was fake. And while hundreds of books, articles, films, podcasts, you name it, have been made dissecting the moon landing as a hoax... A bulk of them rely on Casing's experience at Rocketdyne and his, quote-unquote, discoveries. Now, listeners, let's just touch on a few of the main discoveries that the moon landing was faked so we can have a better basis to judge Kubrick's side of the story. Number one, the flag Neil Armstrong planted on the moon should have been flaccid like a finger, unable to point straight. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. Get your minds out of the gutter, listeners, you (laughs) filthy pigs. Oh, that's disgusting. You thought I was going to say a flaccid penis? (laughs) Unable to get erect? I mean, sick. Yeah. The moon exists in the vacuum of space, and there's no wind. Why was the flag sticking out, taut, and even waving on the landing footage? Number two. One of the biggest pieces of evidence cited by many theorists is the seemingly multiple light sources in photographs taken from the moon. There should only be one light source, the sun, right? (laughs) Number three, the lunar modules left no blast circles after leaving the moon's surface. Number four, no stars can be seen in any of the photographs taken on the moon. And number five, who was filming Neil Armstrong take his first steps on the moon from that angle? Now, listeners, we are not here to talk about whether or not these these uh, these points have been debunked or talked about in various different ways. And that's a topic for another episode. Yeah. These are just some of the points that Casing brings up. Now, Casing proposed an alternate uh, theory that the astronauts were removed from the shuttle moments before takeoff and flown to Nevada where they were. They, they filmed and broadcast the moonwalk from the desert. Then the astronauts were taken to Hawaii, put inside of a landing capsule before the cameras arrived to film them successfully landing from 
the moon. Andy, actually, this was a the plot of O.J. Simpson's last feature film, Capricorn One. Interestingly enough, a little fun. Uh, wow, a little fun tidbit where wow. he plays. He is one of the astronauts who uh, are duped into thinking that they landed on the moon, but it was actually faked. Wow, and filmed, and then he shows up at his own funeral. <clears throat> yeah, I've seen that movie. Have you? Yeah, he killed it. <laughs> oh boy. I haven't seen it. Oh, boy. I haven't seen it. (laughs) Now, normally, listeners, people would look at a theory like that and kind of go, whatever, loser. (laughs) Which is a phrase Andy and I are all too familiar with. I hear that daily. But this was 1970s America, baby. USA. The population had dropped out and tuned in to drugs and sex and rock music. Hell yeah. You had a high-level government conspiracies that we've covered on this show, like MKUltra, Watergate, COINTELPRO, all exposed. Mm -hmm. People were willing to accept the idea that the moon landing was faked and filmed and that the government lied to them. But who would be able to take on such a task? Enter Stanley Kubrick. Stanley, welcome to the show. Uh, (laughs) Listeners, Kubrick is arguably considered one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. His films were dense, dark, and visually stunning. And not unlike my sweetie co-host, Art, (laughs) Kubrick himself was a bit of a recluse, obsessing over each detail of his films meticulously. Kubrick was notorious for his precision and detail in every shot. He was a well-accomplished photographer before making any films, even selling his photographs professionally while still in high school. Kubrick never did anything on accident and was a master of metaphor and visual storytelling. So if any filmmaker could... Film a fake moon landing without making a mistake. It was Kubrick. In fact, uh, Kubrick's demand for perfection was the stuff of legend. On the set of The Shining, he forced the film's leads, Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, to redo a scene 127 times in a row. It's a Guinness World Record. It's incredible. And Andy and I have been on a few small budget films together can you imagine doing a scene 127 times i can't imagine doing a scene 12.7 times (laughs) the entire production lasted 13 months and was way over budget and schedule on top of his considerable preparation demand for perfection and eye for cinematography kubrick pushed the limits of what was capable in film technologically at the time and this may be also another reason nasa chose him to Film a fake moon landing. Kubrick's groundbreaking film, 2001 A Space Odyssey, pioneered the use of front projection with retroreflective matting. Now, we'll get into that in a little bit, but Kubrick used this technique to create believable and realistic backgrounds for for specific scenes. And remember, this entire film was done without the use of any CGI. So the vehicles... The classic rotating space station scene, the zero gravity practical effects, that famous Stargate sequence where all the colors and lights are flashing past the uh, main character's uh, uh, space helmet. Those were all done to the most faultless and precise detail practically. Um, For a film that came out in the late 60s, it is still highly regarded for its practical effects and eye for design. Part of the reason why it was so meticulous in its details was the alleged partnership Kubrick had with NASA. You see, 2001 is based on a novel by sci-fi author Arthur C. Clarke. Great name. Oh, terrific name. I love the last name, Clarke. (laughs) 
Kubrick worked closely with Clark on the research and pre-production for 2001, and they co-wrote the screenplay for the film. Together, they met with researchers from NASA and even hired the production company that made films for NASA and various aerospace companies as design consultants. In fact, many theorists point to the film lens Kubrick used to film Barry Lyndon as another example of his involvement in filming the fake moon landing. You see, the Carl Zeiss planar 50mm F0.7 lens was designed by Zeiss in 1966 on a special request for NASA for the Apollo program. And they made about 10 of them. Kubrick bought three leftover lenses from this batch for the filming of Barry Lyndon. One of the most prolific heralds of the theory that Kubrick helped NASA fake the moon landing is Jay Widener. Uh, or Widener. Widener. Who has published two documentaries on the subject titled Kubrick's Odyssey 1 and 2. As well as many other documentaries on various conspiracies. Uh, he proposed that shortly after filming the movie Dr. Strangelove, which is Kubrick's dark comedy about the American war machine, the Pentagon, who were a little butthurt about Kubrick mocking oh. them in the film. and But, you know, to his credit, they were also pretty stoked about his filmmaking prowess. They approached Kubrick about helping to fake the moon landing. One example that won Kubrick the job was that Kubrick wasn't allowed to see inside of a a real B-52 bomber plane, which a, a pivotal scene in the, in the movie Dr. Strangelove takes place. Uh, so he kind of pieced together what the inside might look like based on military photographs. and He got it pretty damn close. This really impressed the Pentagon. So they made him a deal that, they would, that he would help th- them fake the moon landing in exchange for an unlimited budget, unlimited funds, to make his sci-fi epic... 2001 a space odyssey and that he could make any movie he wanted for the rest of his life without anyone bugging him about it widener believes kubrick did indeed fake the moon landing but he also believes that humans did indeed walk on the moon but everything we ever saw footage wise was was faked by kubrick as a failsafe. so we know why kubrick allegedly did it but how Widener proposes the Kubrick that Kubrick utilized his front projection with retroflective matting technique, which is essentially a practical and primitive form of modern-day green screening. This technique projects a background over the performers onto a highly reflective surface behind them. You can see it clearly used during any of the opening ape scenes in 2001 A Space Odyssey. Widener provides many examples where he draws a clear horizon line between where the studio fake moon surface meets the projected moon background and empty black vacuum of space. In fact, he also shows examples of images taken from the Apollo mission on the moon's surface where the contrast and gamma on the image is turned up drastically. These images show strange geometric shapes in the backgrounds of the photos. Could these possibly be the imperfections of Kubrick's front projection methods? Similar geometric patterns show up in the scenes from 2001 as well. Also, the foreground of many of the lunar surface shots are in focus and show great detail with every rock, footprint, lunar rover, thread mark, but the backgrounds are all one blank textureless surface. Wiener says this is another example of the front projection method. Widener also says that if you speed up the footage of the Apollo mission, the astronauts look like they're moving at regular speed. 
he believes Kubrick used the same technique, uh, essentially a slow mo slow motion technique on the moon landing fake as he did in the in 2001 to shoot his low gravity scenes there. Regardless, how does his alleged connection to the moon landing relate to his horror epic, The Shining? Art, shall we pack our bags and head over to the Overlook Hotel? I don't know, Andy. The Overlook Hotel is creepy enough without having to share a room with someone like you. Oh, this again? Listeners, you don't know this, but I know this because I know Art. He claims that I snore terribly after sharing multiple hotel rooms with me on our comedy travels. These are egregious defamations of my very well-respected character. No, no, Andy, my dear boy, you must understand me. I said I don't want to share a room with you because you're a creep, not because you snore. You're scarier than the scary characters in the scary movie The Shining. Oh, okay, I get it. Well, no arguments for me then. (laughs) Glad we cleared that up, Andy. So for those of you not familiar with The Shining... Well, you should kind of expect spoilers for some major parts of the film. We'll try our best not to spoil the whole damn thing, but be forewarned. Um, just as a as the note, this movie <laughs> came out in, in 1980, so you've had like almost 40 years to watch it. So like, I mean, to put it bluntly, shit or get off the pot on this <laughs> sure. one. Like, just watch it already. Well, you have diarrhea, so that too. <laughs> anyway... The film follows the Torrance family, aspiring writer Jack, his wife Wendy, and their son Danny. The family travels to the Overlook Hotel, nestled in the secluded Colorado Rocky Mountains, as Jack has taken a position as winter caretaker of the hotel as it closes during the snowy winter months. Spoiler alert, the film follows Jack's descent into madness as cabin fever and various supernatural phenomena causes him to go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, while a bunch of other disturbing shit happens. The film is much more psychological horror than jump scare. The kind of horror that, you know, sends chills up your spine and keeps you awake at night. And um, frankly, speaking as someone who doesn't like scary movies or horror movies even a little bit, I really enjoyed The Shining. What did you think, Andy? I think that it's, I think it's a good movie. Um, You know, I think that it's like, it's visually very like striking. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, obviously like, I mean, culturally there's a lot of things that have bled into the, the popular culture, but oh, yeah. I mean, just in general, I mean, uh, I think it's a pretty good movie. Yeah. Overall you liked it. Yeah. Um, Kubrick actually adapted the story from a Stephen King novel or Stephen King. Sorry. My apologies to Mr. King of the same <laughs> Stephen name. King. If you're listening, <laughs> let us know how to pronounce your name. Yeah. I'm confused, but mm, here's the thing. Much of King's story and themes were gutted from the film and King, mm, he was a little butthurt about that. He kind of actually really hated the movie, but he's also kind of gone back and forth over the years on his feelings about the film. This is one of, you know, but this is one of his first observations that theorists kind of point to is an example of Kubrick's hidden message, i.e. that he faked the moon landing. Why would a director as meticulous as Kubrick pick to adapt a horror novel by Stephen King only to kind of gut King's central themes, plot, and then make other weird minor plot changes for no obvious reason? According to theorists, uh, perhaps Kubrick made these changes to serve a purpose. Clearly, he was trying to tell us something, something bigger through the shell of this of this Stephen King story. The story was just a front, right? 
as if this movie was a front for exposing his secrets. Let's start at the front. <laughs> Let's start at the front. Jack arrives at the Overlook Hotel and meets with its manager to cut a deal about becoming the winter caretaker of the property. The manager bears a striking resemblance to podcast subject JFK. That's right. And is wearing patriotic colors with an American flag pennant on his desk, conveniently in frame. Also, a statue of an eagle looms behind the manager's head in the shot. And remember, Kubrick never puts anything into the shot on accident. That's right, Art. So Jack and the manager talk, and the deal is essentially that Jack can write his novel all he wants uh, as long as he takes care of the pro- the property. This is also where, uh, spoiler alert, uh, the manager tells Jack that the hotel is built on a Native American burial ground and that the last caretaker went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and killed his wife and daughters. Nevertheless, Jack accepts. Now, some believe Jack represents Kubrick's pragmatic side at this point in the film. A man who is willing to take a maybe unappealing job, but a job so that he can do what he really loves. Create art, tell stories. Kubrick, make films. Jack Torrance, write novels. Just like your parents. That's right. <laughs> the hotel, Created art. <laughs> hey, there you go. The hotel represents America. Hence the whole built on a Native American barrel ground thing. Uh, boy, uh. Jack's job to prevent the hotel, a.k.a. America, decay is kind of, it sort of is interpreted as preventing America from losing the cold, the space race, right? Yeah. In, is this scene Kubrick trying to tell us about the deal he struck with the U.S. government to fake the moon landing? Well, anyway, back to the film for a moment. Jan- Danny, Jack's son possesses a supernatural ability called The Shining. Hey, that's the name of the film. Huh. You're right, Andy, it is. <laughs> Another mystery solved. Yeah, this was a good episode. Good episode. Anyway, case closed. This ability allows him, allows Danny to communicate telepathically and see weird, horrific shit around the hotel. <laughs> oh, neat. Danny meets the hotel's chef named Dick Halloran, who also possesses The Shining ability and he, this is important to note, listeners, he tells Danny, don't go to room 237. He says, there's nothing good for you there. Now, we'll explain the significance of that in a little bit. A little later in the film, the Torrance family starts to settle into their role as caretakers of the hotel. They're getting comfortable. Just as a massive cold storm envelops the hotel in snow and frost, cutting off the phone lines, cutting off the, you know, this, a lot of the supply lines, everything. It's a, it's a terrible storm. Some say this cold storm is a metaphor for the Cold War, which took place during the moon landing. And if there's one thing we here at Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast approve, it's on the nose metaphors, baby. <laughs> Anywho, Danny is riding his big wheel tricycle around the hotel halls, which is also what I like to do when I try to escape from my wife when she wants me to take a bath. <laughs> oh, I, you don't say. I haven't bathed in a month. <laughs> Danny encounters two creepy twin girls who want to play with him. Then, suddenly, the image of the girls' gruesome, bloody corpses are flashed across the screen. Danny's powers are causing him to see this, and he's horrified. Danny represents Kubrick's childlike, imaginative, and creative side. And the twins are the astrological symbol for which constellation? That's right, Gemini. I'm not a Gemini, I'm a Scorpio. And the Gemini Project... 
was the space program that preceded NASA's Apollo program. This might seem like a mere coincidence, but most theorists are quick to point out that Kubrick specifically changed the single daughter in Stephen King's novel version to twins in his version. Why would he make this seemingly unnecessary minor change? So a little bit later in the film, Danny is playing with some toy trucks on the carpet of one of the floors in the hotel. We see an overhead shot of Danny playing and there's a few pieces to note. For starters, the carpet of the hotel is very peculiar. It's very 70s, it's orange and brown, and it's got a red center, and it's a hexagonal shape, pattern, and it's got a protruding line from the center, almost like, uh, it's kind of like a series of honeycombs, or to me, it looks like a pattern of microscopic images of a virus or a stick figure with no arms. Listeners, if you're having trouble picturing this in your mind's eye, pause the episode and Google The Shining Carpet. Although, probably from that description, you've got it perfectly in (laughs) your image. I did an okay job, all right? (laughs) The way Kubrick staged Danny's toys, and Danny himself, is also important to note. His trucks are lined up in a semicircle with Danny in the middle of the hexagon, and the protruding line that's coming out of the hexagon is pointing away from Danny. When you line up a bird's eye shot of the same launch pad where the Saturn V rocket from Apollo 11 launched, lines up exactly with Danny his trucks and the pattern on the carpet but where's the rocket you may be asking well danny's powers are calling him towards something and danny stands up that's when we see it danny is wearing a blue sweater with a rocket ship on it his sweater reads usa apollo 11 danny is a metaphor for the apollo 11 rocket he stands up and walks slowly over to what is drawing him in then we see it Room 237. Yes, listeners, the very room we earlier told you about that Danny was told not to go near. But what the heck does this mean? Well, first of all, Kubrick changed room 217 as it was in the novel to room 237. Why? Well, it also happens to be the average distance in miles of the Earth to the moon, 237,000 miles. Thus, room 237, the place where we must not go, represents the moon. Danny wearing a sweater with an Apollo 11 rocket on it is pretty significant already, but when you combine that with the 237 as a metaphor for the average distance the Earth is in relation to the moon, then it kind of starts to become even more apparent that Kubrick may have meant this as a symbol. Danny is literally carrying a rocket ship on his sweater to the metaphorical moon. And if Kubrick represents Danny, then that means Kubrick helped that rocket go to the moon. This is kind of the apex for Kubrick moon landing hoax believers. As we said earlier, Kubrick never did anything just cause. Why would he outfit Danny in an Apollo 11 rocket sweater? Why change the room number in the film to something even closely related to the moon? It's all seemingly too coincidental. But Danny isn't the only one who goes to room 237. Listeners, major spoilers are ahead, so if you don't want to know what's inside room 237, pause now or forever hold your peace and your Reese's Pieces and give them to us because we love them. Speaking about about Reese's Pieces, E.T. Yeah. Jack eventually finds (laughs) him. I was going to bring up how that was also changed. They changed Reese's Pieces because that was the only people who would from M&M's to Reese's because they... M&M's didn't want to be in the movie. Didn't want to be involved in yeah. It backfired because... Yeah. 
to help Reese's a lot. Yeah. Anyway, Jack, maybe not for this movie. Jack eventually finds himself <laughs> called towards room 237 as well. He enters and discovers a beautiful nude woman bathing in the tub. Goes to her and she stands and they, they start to kiss. And she embraces him. Till suddenly she is no longer a beautiful woman, but as a d- diseased, decaying old hag who begins to chase Jack out of the room. So listeners, you're probably thinking, yeah, so what? Sounds like my kind of porno. And you're not wrong. But there's more here to unpack. Like my dong. (laughs) The actress who Kubrick hired to play the old hag was named Billy Gibson. Billy Gibson has no other acting credits whatsoever. Indeed, you can search The Shining's IMDb, and there she is. Was this just some random old woman who Kubrick hired because she looked the part? Maybe. Until you dig a little deeper. You see, a director named Bill Gibson also has only one credit listed on his IMDb page. And that credit is as NASA's official director for the Apollo 11 moon landing documentary, Footprints on the Moon, Apollo 11. So did Kubrick hire a random old lady named Billy Gibson just because? Or did he hire her as a clue to point to Bill Gibson and the NASA moon landing hoax? Now, there's something metaphorical to unpack here as well. If we take Jack to represent Kubrick, then we again see more connection between Kubrick and the moon. Jack going to room 237 is Kubrick going to the moon, to filming the moon. Everything in room 237 is a lie. The beautiful woman in a tub is not beautiful. She's not selling her gamer girl bathwater. She's actually a disgusting, decaying corpse. This can be interpreted as Kubrick showing us that the moon landing is fake. It's not real. And possibly that the beautiful nude woman of a deal he struck with the government was actually a zombified crone and wasn't what it seemed to be. You see, listeners, a little later in the film, Jack comes across the gold room. As he enters, he's transported to this bizarre alternate timeline. Patrons of the Overlook Hotel from previous eras in their fancy dresses and tuxedos, they meander about the room enjoying drinks, food, and the jazzy tunes from the live band. Jack saunters to the bar and he takes a seat and the bartender, a man dressed in red with a devilish and mischievous mischievous face, pours him a drink. But when Jack tries to pay, the drink is on the house. There's some gold to be mined from this scene, Andy. (laughs) First of all, again, if we interpret Jack as Kubrick, (laughs) we can see that Kubrick is showing us that after he faked the the moon landing, after all, he did just go to room 237, a.k.a. the moon, and he released 2001 A Space Odyssey, he entered the Hollywood elite, hence all the fancy patrons at the bar. This is further implied by the devilish bartender. Is this a reference to satanic or Illuminati elite Hollywood ties? Did Kubrick make a deal with the devil? Now he truly sees the world for what it is? What makes Kubrick films so special is that all this also kind of makes sense in the plot of the movie. Jack, after entering room 237, has become fully possessed by the evil spirit of the hotel. This is why he can see all these spirit patrons in the gold room. But being possessed by an evil hotel spirit has its drawbacks. Believe me, I got possessed by a Motel 6. You left the light on. (laughs) I couldn't turn it off. (laughs) Yeah. At this point in the film, Jack has truly gone, medically speaking, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. 
His wife, Wendy, is starting to become a little worried about her son and her now irritable husband. She goes to inspect just what Jack's been working on at his typewriter. We see that Jack has typed the same sentence over and over, hundreds and hundreds of pages of this exact same sentence. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And let me tell you, Andy, sometimes working on these scripts for Mr. Bunker, you might go a little crazy, but this is a whole new level. (laughs) You said it, Art. (laughs) Oh, you see, listeners, Jack's typewriter is obviously in a monospaced font. The lowercase L's in all look suspiciously similar to ones, A11 or A11, Apollo 11. We can interpret this as Apollo 11 work and no play makes Jack, a.k.a. Kubrick, a dull boy. A little later in the film, Jack finds himself locked in a food pantry. Oh, brother, haven't we all? I (laughs) wish. Yeah, don't you just call that a Tuesday night? (laughs) I'm a pig, folks. (laughs) While in the pantry, Jack is surrounded by boxes that read Golden Rays and have the number 3900 on them. Golden rays are what Apollo, the sun god, would emanate. Because it's the sun. He would emanate golden rays. And Apollo 11 also launched off from launch pad 3900. Also, in this food pantry, we can clearly see Tang, the drink of the astronauts. Again, these could be mere coincidence, but Kubrick wasn't really known for coincidences. All right, listeners, a few big spoilers ahead. You remember when we said we were going to try our best not to spoil the entire entire, entire film? <laughs> well, it turns out that's a dumb thing to say because it's impossible to do when nitpicking a film for moon landing hoax conspiracies. Classic. Classic blunder. We fell victim to one of the classic blunders. <laughs> anyway, Danny uses his powers to contact Halloran, who travels back to the hotel to try to rescue the family from Jack. But right as he arrives... Jack murders him with an axe swing to the chest. <laughs> Some good those shining powers turned out to be. <laughs> yeah, what the heck, dude? What an idiot. <laughs> well, I hope our listeners still have their memories. Remember how we told you we'd touch back on Halloran later? Well, here we are, baby. You see, Halloran earlier in the film tells Danny not to go to room 237 because, quote, there's nothing good for him there, end quote. Now, in the context of the film, this makes sense because in room 237 is an evil old hag creature trying to sell her bathwater or some shit. Yeah. But if we interpret this as someone telling a young, bright-eyed, creative Kubrick to not go to the moon, that is, not film the moon landing fake, because there's nothing good for him there, then we have a little more to unpack here. Was Halloran's death a metaphor for someone close to Kubrick who warned him not to mess with the fake moon landing? Did this person die because of Kubrick's choice? Did Kubrick then tell someone, I did the moon landing fake? Just like Danny telepathically messages Halloran about room 237 and this caused that person's death? If we say yes to this, then perhaps that is why we can see Kubrick's need to leave clues about this. To get this off his chest in some way. This can also be why the degradation of Jack's personal appearance is a metaphor for Kubrick's. If you look at photos of Kubrick before he filmed 2001, he's a well-kept man with nicely combed hair and, you know, he's he's got a normal-looking frame. By the time The Shining rolls around, he's gained a lot of weight. His hair is falling out. It's unkempt. He's got a long beard. He looks tired. 
If Kubrick knew someone who died because of what they knew about Kubrick's deal, well, that would weigh pretty heavy on his conscience. Also, he became even more reclusive after filming uh, 2001. He, uh, he, he rarely would, would leave his, uh, his estate in London and refuse to film anything outside of England. Alas, listeners, this brings us to the final shot in the movie. And uh, at this point, I'm not even going to warn about spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> You've already had the whole film spoiled yeah. by this point. The last shot in the film shows a photo of Jax in a tuxedo surrounded by the very socialites from the gold room. It's dated 1921. Jack's arm position is very bizarre here. His right arm is up and bent at the elbow with his hand uh, pointed upwards to the upper right corner. And his palm is facing open and facing the camera, but his thumb and the uh, little bit of meat by the thumb is kind of holding a note. Uh, his left arm is straight out at an angle towards the right corner, almost as if he's kind of doing a... Uh, Ta-da! Like kind of magic move where, you know, a patron behind Jack is uh, is is reaching up and he's grabbing Jack's right arm, the one with the note. Some theorists point out that Jack's bizarre posture kind of looks a lot like the posture typically shown in depictions of Baphomet. Baphomet is something that we will probably be covered in its own right on its own episode, uh, but... You've probably seen it as a goat-headed man or probably on a metal album or 2,000. Yeah. Um, Anyway, Baphomet is also usually depicted with its right arm bent and pointing to the moon and not a bare butt. Did Kubrick depict Jack's posture like this in the final scene of the movie as the last nail in this moon landing conspiracy cinema extravaganza? And what of the note Jack is holding? Why is another patron grabbing his arm holding the note? Is this a metaphor for someone trying to silence Kubrick? Trying to stop him from telling the truth about the moon landing? Does The Shining contain a hidden message about the Apollo moon landing? Well, we can never know for sure. Stanley Kubrick passed away on March 7th, 1999, left behind a legacy as one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Perhaps he chose to adapt this Stephen King story to depict any number of symbolic messages the film has been known for over the years. Indeed, there's an entire documentary devoted just to theories about what The Shining, what the hidden messages of The Shining are. Perhaps Kubrick used the guise of filming an adaptation of a Stephen King novel to protect himself from a powerful entity that he truly feared. Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Hey, listeners, this is Art. This is not an ad. This is a compliment. If you're out there commuting to work, good for you. I hope you're having a great commute. And thanks for listening to the podcast. 
If uh, you feel so inclined, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes because it really helps the show and we would really appreciate it. That's all the time I'll take. Let's get back to the show. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Three, two, one. Welcome back, listeners. Oh, here we are. Oh, here we are. Oh, that was our research of the theory that Stanley Kubrick helped fake the moon landing and then put messages into The Shining. <laughs> We're going to call it the Kubrick Moon Hoax. Kubrick Moon Hoax. Moon landing hoax. My favorite restaurant. Kubrick's Moon Hoax. <laughs> Moon's over Miami. Ay, ay, ay. Boy, Andy, this is a, uh, this is a dense Denny's, one. Denny's, if you're listening... Denny's, if you're listening. The Denny's official Twitter account, if you're listening. Get at us. Spons? Mm? Spons? Mm? Um, Denny's? Mm? Denny's? Boy, Andy, there is... Um, there's a lot to unpack here. Now... Wow. There's more to unpack here than me after I get back from a cruise. <laughs> and you are a noted, noted cruiser. Notable cruise enthusiast. Oh, yeah. You've been on... On so many cruises. So You're just cruising. I'm cruising. Uh, cruising the world, actually. They had to call you David Caruso. <laughs> oh, yeah, they do. Um, they also call me the captain or <laughs> the first mate, depending on which ship I'm on. Um, Andy, you, you asked if we're, you know, I think we could talk a little bit about the moon landing conspiracy. Now, the four topics that you brought up in the script have been debunked in multiple ways and perhaps this is for another episode i don't yeah uh you know i don't know if we should be if we should talk about because 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 a lot of those like for example let's just take the flag you talk about the flag like why is it flaccid like a penis i'm sorry like a finger that won't point straight um well why isn't it why is it taught well nasa had the forethought to say, uh, if we get to the moon first, we don't want some flaccid, dinky-looking little fucking flag on the moon. So they put a crossbar on it to hold it. And the reason it looks, quote-unquote, like it's waving is because Neil Armstrong has to twist it. Um, oh, listeners, only you could see Art's dance moves for the Neil Armstrong twist. Yeah, he's twisting it in, like a bop. Come it. on, baby, do the twist. Um, they put the crossbar in, but actually the Apollo 11 astronauts couldn't get the crossbar in all the way. So that's why it looks rippled. Right. Is because it's, the flag's not, it, it should, crinkled. it should be sticking straight out. Like a it's toothpick. Got a car, the crossbar on it, but instead it looks wobbly and, yeah. and, um, you know, people say that it's, it's faked because of what they see in the video versus in the photographs, but it's, those are two different things. Right. So... Again, we're not here to really discuss the moon landing conspiracy. That's its own topic. Yeah. yeah. And it's a dense topic. There's lots more points that people like to make. We're here to talk about the Kubrick side of it. So I think right. for the sake of most of this discussion, I think we're just going to kind of assume that, yeah, it was faked, but how did Kubrick do it? Like, like we're not really, like, we're here to discuss if Kubrick had anything to do with it. Yeah, you know? we're going to say, we're going to make the assumption right up the top that the moon landing never actually happened. Well, at least in 1969, the famous Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Michael Collins moon it landing. It may have, and Kubrick may have had something to do with it. Yeah, we're going to discuss. We're going to discuss though whether Kubrick was involved in faking the footage of it, uh, and if there are clues in The Shining. So uh, let's just 
let's clean the plates with that first. Clean your palates. This is a nice sorbet. Uh, this has cleansed your palate. The moon landing is fake. Let's talk about this before we move on to just some Kubrick stuff. And I know we just said that whole spiel, but I want to go on the spiel. And there's nothing you can do to stop me. <laughs> oh, no. If only I had a gun. <laughs> or a Hulk fist. <laughs> or or uh, a, a, a sockum. Sockum boppers. Oh, God. Oh, Do you ever man. play with those? Yeah, I could get you good, dude. Those are dangerous. Or a big suit that made me look like a sumo wrestler. Yeah. Oh, wait. I have it. It's called my body. <laughs> Andy, sumo wrestlers dwarf you. Yeah, sumo wrestlers don't, are actually... Don't fucking... I'm, don't bullshit sumo wrestler culture. If there are okay? any sumo wrestlers listening, you're yeah. a million times more athletic than me. And sure... Eat all that chonko nabe. You would eat a lot. You probably would love chonko nabe. You, you all are... I would love chonko nabe. Humongous human beings. Uh, and you uh, abuse your bodies for the sacred art of sumo. And I shouldn't have disparaged you. Yes. By comparing yourselves to me because I'm just a worthless shit. Now that we've apologized to sumo wrestlers, which is <laughs> a regular segment... <laughs> An apology we've been needing to make, to be honest. <laughs> Andy, much of what we know about history <laughs> Go on. is told from the victor's point of view. Uh, almost all of it is. Right. This is not a new phenomenon. No. There have been books written about it. You know, I think I'm pretty sure the podcast Revisionist History kind of looks at. Um, I've never listened to it. Uh, looks at history. I just think this is what it's about. Looks, looks at history from a different point of view. Yeah. Things like how the West was won. Uh, the settlers interaction with native peoples coming on this, you know, you're told as a little kid that, ah, yes, the settlers came over and we, we had corn. There was definitely no spreading of SARS blankets or, you know, there was definitely no smallpox blankets, smallpox blankets. There was definitely no, um, slaughtering, uh, or violence of any kind. It was a happy time. And while there may have been stories of happy Thanksgivings and, and such, it's watered down to what we're taught. Now, a lot of these stories kind of show American exceptionalism, but there's always another side to the story, right, Andy? Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I recently read, um, this is just a, a fact about me last year, I think. Uh, I read um, a biography of uh, Ulysses S. Grant. That's right. Um, by uh, This was Andy's Grant period. <laughs> yeah. I I I got there a grant. Andy, I got a grant. You, you don't know this, but I know this because I know Andy. He's gone through a few periods in his life. One was the grant period. One was the I'm reading the Bible cover to cover period. Yeah, we've been through those. Now all I read is um, uh, conspiracy theories because I've been so warped by Mr. Bunker. Yeah. Um, but you we were reading about Grant. But uh, Jean Edward Smith wrote this book. Uh, or maybe Jean Edward Smith. Um, but I'm guessing it's Jean. Uh, Edward Smith wrote this book uh, called Grant uh, succinctly and um, there's you know a lot of it is is about the other side of of history um, it there's obviously a significant portion of the book that's talking about uh, reconstruction in the United States after the American Civil War right um, and uh, it it, uh, it focuses a lot on um, you know, both sides of the story, but it's like, you know, we really, we really don't hear so much about, um, the failings of reconstruction and how right. it was bungled 
Um, you kind of hear about the Civil War, brother v. brother. You hear about, you know, Abraham Lincoln. You hear about freeing the slaves. You hear about that, yeah. these sort of major talking points. And in, in some respect, it's kind of hard to teach children about yeah. <laughs> these very nuanced... Nuanced things. Yeah, things. But regardless... Um, I mean, Grant was, um, I would say, as much an advocate as like people that high in the U.S. government were for Native American peoples. Right. But it's like he he had uh, a general in charge of the like forces in the West who didn't agree with his policy, basically. Yeah. And instead pursued genocide. Yeah. And he didn't exactly like stop that completely. Right. So, I mean, it's like that's, I mean, you hear it now as like, oh, the settlers like, like fighting off like native peoples, but it's, you know, it's much more nuanced than that. Right. It's not manifest. The it's frontier. like, sure. We're settlers like being attacked. Right. Yes. But without just cause. So what we're getting at is that there, there's other sides to stories about American exceptionalism. Could the moon landing be one? Mm. Mm. Yeah, now could, could be. we've, We've looked at the, I mean, this was basically America flapping out its big fat dong on the face of the world saying, fuck you, USSR. We got to the moon first. I don't give a shit if you guys were the first to put Yuri Gergich, I forget his name. I think it's Yuri something. Uh, the first man in space. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look his name up while you say something. Uh, uh, we don't We don't give a shit about Sputnik. Yeah. Sputnik <laughs> could fucking... But off to the sun, I don't care. It was Yuri. Yuri Gargan. Gagarin. 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 Yuri Gagarin. Yuri Gagarin. Yuri Gagarin. Here's the thing. America just kind of was like, we got there first. Ha ha. Planted our flag. That's the story. It belongs to us, baby. We don't hear about all the failed projects of, of Project Gemini. We don't hear about the... The, the the explosions of two of the Apollo missions. We don't hear about uh, the Mercury astronauts. The the, the we don't fire. hear about the radiation that the radiation that exists between there supposedly exists. One of the theories that conspiracy theorists will bring up is that there's a radiation layer or things between the Earth and the Moon, and it's like how would they not die? Mm-hmm. Um, how are they not protected against that? You know, we don't hear about all that stuff. Yeah. You just hear one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Yeah. You just hear, um, you know, do you, do you think that maybe they, they faked it and they just showed the fake footage just to say that they won? Maybe they still traveled there, you know? And if you do say that question, is Buzz Aldrin going to show up and kick our asses? Yeah, he might. He boy, might. he gets mad. Oh man, does he get mad. Um, I, you know, I, and arguably okay. so. All right. Let me just, can I just say this real quick? I know I just told you to talk, but let me just say this real quick astronauts are some of our best and brightest. They're incredible. They're physically fit. They're smart as fucking scientists. And they're incredibly courageous and brave. Astronauts today are all these things. Why are you saying that? I mean, you saying Buzz Aldrin's a piece of shit? (laughs) No, I'm not at all. Buzz Aldrin, if you were listening, come kick his ass. Come beat me up, Buzz Aldrin. But no, all I'm saying is that, uh, like John Glenn, for example... Right. Kind of all you had to be was like a pilot who was willing to be dangerous flying <laughs> flying. I guess aircraft. that's true. Okay. Like you, okay. you yeah. just had to be like, I mean, have a have throw caution to the wind. You got to have at cojones. First, at first. You like, had to have them. Now it's much different. Yes. It's much different. Now these are all very respected scientists. I mean, at the time, 
you know, obviously Neil Armstrong's a scientist, but I mean, you did have to be a little batshit crazy to be like, yeah, I want to go to space. But some some of the earlier astronauts were just, I mean, it's like guys like Chuck Yeager, <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, where it's just like, oh, I want to go fucking this, fast. This guy will fly a plane recklessly. Surely he won't mind yeah. going into outer space. Sure, we're not sure if we can bring him back, but he probably won't care. He doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'll accept that. But sure. I, you know, it's evolved over time. I'm I not mean, trying to disparage the astronauts. Apollo. The Apollo missions were more um, like scientific than right than than what some of the earlier uh, missions were. Well, what do you think about that? What do I think? This is just another story told from the point of the victors. It is. And, you know, it's like, I mean, here's the thing uh, for me is that if we're if we're going to just assume that the moon landing is faked, it probably does make sense because of the political climate at the time to have a backup in case JFK said, I'm going to put a man on the moon. Yeah. And the decade was almost over and he was dead. (laughs) He was dead. The clock was ticking on this promise that he made, that a dead man made, <laughs> that they needed to honor uh, to to put somebody on the moon. So, you know, I mean, if America was in a very traumatic time and they needed a win. Yeah. And it was uh, an achievement, a scientific achievement, uh, unlike any other. And if you're worried that, you know, you're either not going to be able to get them to get them there. Or that once they get there, the footage may not be any good. Why wouldn't you plan a backup? A lot of theorists bring up the fact that all of the original footage from the moon landing is no longer accessible. It's gone. It was deleted, destroyed, or whatever. That's a main, that's a point that they like to bring up is that anytime you see any footage, it's usually secondhand stuff that was like recorded during the live cast or whatever. Mm-hmm. This is a point that they like to bring up. Now, I'm not saying whether that's true or not, because we're not here to talk about that. Yeah. But it is a point that they bring up. There's a lot of weird stuff with the moon landing, and I don't think it's crazy to say, like a lot of these theories that we're kind of talking about, like Widener and even Casing, are like the technology at the time wasn't there. I think, you know, that they just did it to get a win, and then eventually they did go to the moon, and then... You know, we haven't been back since because according to NASA, there's nothing there. Now, a lot of other people are like, they start putting on all the crate, the the wilder stuff. I'll say that there are glass structures that aliens built and NASA won't release. And that's why you can see those weird geometric shapes when you increase the gamma on a photo. (laughs) I mean, you know. If you can take a simple Photoshop technique and reveal a, <laughs> I don't know. No, I know what you're saying. Glass structure, a hidden glass structure on the moon. But I don't think it's crazy to think that America would go and film a fake just to ensure that they won. I don't think that's crazy. No, I don't. They've think done crazy. crazier things. Yeah, I don't think that that's crazy at all. And I think it's whether or not you believe what was there and if we ever actually went there. Yeah, but I think what we said. Like, that's probably a topic for a different... Yeah. We're not going to decide on that at this moment. Right. But, like, I think it... I think I think that... I think it would make sense to fake it. I would, too. Why I mean, not? I mean, like you said, if it goes hand-in-hand hand with an actual mission that does land on the moon so that there's something, like, tangible, then it's... it. 
it probably makes sense. Like then you have like good footage, like that would be difficult to refute. Right. Probably if done right. I mean, getting to done right, like Stanley Kubrick. And, and allegedly. I, and here's to draw it back to Kubrick. You know, Jay's film, Jay Widener's film, actually, you think like, oh God, here's this nut. And there's a lot of other reviews are like, this is fucking garbage. This is stupid. I don't see it as that nutty. I think he actually has a pretty level-headed take. It's mostly, the film is mostly an interpretation of The Shining, which part of the beauty of Kubrick films is that you can interpret them in a million different fucking ways. I mean, there's a whole documentary called Room 237 that shows all the different interpretations Mm -hmm. of The Shining, one of which is the genocide of Native Americans. Because there's a ton of Native American imagery in this film. And isn't isn't another one um, that it's like it's some sort of like Holocaust allegory? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a lot of disparate views. Yes, and I don't think Jay, and Jay even says himself. I think people went to the moon, but I also think that they faked it and they used Kubrick and the footage we saw was the fake footage so that they could just ensure the win. And yeah, they went there, but. The footage we saw was the fake footage. I don't think that that's such a crazy take. You know, I think no. a lot of, the, he's not sitting, he even calls out, he shows footage of this guy who, for all the the stuff about the the gamma of the photographs and the geometric shapes, he shows, I forget the guy's name, but he says like, you know, so-and-so believes that these geometric shapes indicate glass structures left there by aliens. Jay says, I don't believe there are aliens on the moon. <laughs> I think that those are pieces of the uh, retro-reflective matting that Kubrick used for his front projection stuff. Now, whether you want to take all that into account, you know, whatever. I don't think that Jay's take is that insane. I can't speak to him as a person on his other takes, other stuff he believes in, but for this film, I said, eh, most of it was just an interpretation of the film. Which I'm fine with. Yeah. Um but let's let's talk about sure. let's talk about like like Kubrick's involvement. Sure. Like the next logical step is here, okay. The moon like they have the fake footage. Is Kubrick the guy that shot it? Yes. Kubrick was the guy who shot everything, figured out how to do it all with the use of people at NASA. Um he, you know, there's photos of him. And Arthur C. Clarke walking around with a bunch of NASA head honchos um, because they were consultants on 2001. That is the theory. The theory is that after Dr. Strangelove, they were like, we need somebody who can do this shit. Kubrick's our guy. Um, And then they got him to do it. But at the at the end of the day, right? Like there's nothing there's nothing really more than other stuff that's happened right hmm? i mean and what i'm trying to say is that there's no there's no concrete anything no it's all just speculation it's like oh based on the shining yeah yeah he was with nasa but he was doing and based that, on his connections to nasa you know he he did uh 2001 a space odyssey before the moon landing uh that was 1968 the theory is that 2001 took a really long time to film and the the cover that was the cover he filmed this like like in tandem like 
he was like, oh, I'm working on a sci-fi epic. And then maybe he like worked on the moon landing for a little while and then went and did 2001. Yeah. That's the theory is that it was a cover in the same way that the shining is a cover for him actually wanting to tell these secrets. He told everyone, oh, I'm filming a horror movie based on a Stephen King novel. And then people watched it and they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but it, like he had a legitimate reason to be with people from NASA. Yes. You know, he did. So it's kind of like, oh, well, you you know, oh, he saw him with NASA. So clearly he faked the moon landing. Well, and then all the weird references in The Shining. Right? Yeah. And I mean, I'll admit in The Shining, the most unexplained thing is why Danny's wearing an Apollo 11 like sweater and why it's shot like that, why it lines up, why all that stuff. Yeah. It's very peculiar because, again, you know, and you can say, well, Kubrick just sort of did it. And, and, and I mean, I, we said that Kubrick doesn't do things for coincidence sake, but occasionally, for example, one of the things that we bring up, right, is the room 237. Mm-hmm. That's the big one, right? Yeah. Oh, this means the moon. People are like, well, why would he change the numbers? Other people say, because the hotel said, we don't have a room 237, but we do have a room 217. We don't want people... Th- if you're going to use exterior shots of our hotel it, it and was, property... It was what? Like an ex- it was a, the exterior shots are like of a hotel in Oregon, right? Yeah. It's like... And, and they don't have a room 237, but they have a room 217. Right. And they were like, we don't want people freaking out when about- we book them in 217. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So can you please use a different room? And Cooper was like, all right, 237. And, and the twins. Right. Uh, I... One thing I read is that Kubrick felt like twins was creepier right. than just one single uh, girl. And he based the casting decision and everything off of a picture that he had seen before of twin girls that predated anything having to do with the moon landing. Like right. before him even, uh, like before his career. Um, and he was a well-known photographer. I mean, yeah. you know. He, he knows that he has an eye for how to frame things and make them look creepy. So, like, those know? are two big, like, references. But right. at the end of the day, to me, those almost seem like non-references. It was creative decisions. There's creative decisions. Based on other things. So, yeah, they're not coincidences. They're creative decisions. Right. It's not a coincidence. <laughs> it's not It's not that it, it's not that it, that he just did it either. It's that there was a reason for it, but it's the reason isn't that he because he's putting a clue in that he faked the moon landing. That's the thing about the film. So much of the film, you the same references can be used to metaphor the slaughter of Native Americans as much as it can be used to <laughs> reference the moon landing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, like, like for pretty much the only thing we're actually talking about is the Apollo Eleven jumper because everything else also has a double meaning. Yeah. To, that relates to something completely different. And and I think at some point we have to accept the fact that Kubrick might be just making a film that's uh, esoteric and dense just to make it esoteric and dense. That right. he's making a reference. Uh, maybe it's the old John Lennon trick of like, he's building in this reference just to build in a reference for we you. We talked about that last that week doesn't on our mean episode anything. on yeah. uh, Paul is Dead. Yeah. Um, Maybe he's got a little of that uh, John Lennon uh, cheekiness in him. <laughs> Maybe. You know, he, the problem is also reclusive guy. Yeah. He didn't talk about it. Yeah. 
He famously, uh, he did tell someone that they got, I forget the film now and I feel dumb. I forget what film it was, but he did a film and then someone was like, oh, that's a reference to this. And that was one of the few times that Stanley Kubrick actually said like a fan got a theory that, right, that that was the reason why I did that. He never said anything like that for any of his other films. Now, you know, I think a lot of Kubrick's, a few of Kubrick's films, this one and Eyes Wide Shut are kind of the biggest like conspiracy. Like they go nuts for these two films. Have you ever seen Eyes Wide Shut? I've never seen it, but it's about like a secret society of Mm -hmm. the wealthy elite. A sex cult. Yeah. A Hollywood sex cult, which which we've kind of seen as a real thing. Very (laughs) in the news. Very in the news. Um, you had the but then he died. Alex Mack sex cult that got busted up, and then you have uh, you know you got Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> Alex Mack wasn't that the actress's name? Uh, from like Nickelodeon? No, uh, it just happened. Oh, I don't think I know what you're referencing. But then Kubrick died like a few days after uh, the filming was finished on Eyes Wide Shut. Allison Mack. Uh, oh. the, the NXIVM sex cult. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, that is the big. That's why. So it's this this movie kind of shows this secret society of this Hollywood, and it ends on this very like. Uh, I'm not going to say about the ending. I don't want to spoil two <laughs> movies for you. Um, we'll get it. We'll find an older movie to spoil. Yeah, but he died like shortly after the he showed the uh, director's cut release. Oh. To um, to like producers and higher ups, and then he died shortly after. It's very like, mm. and then supposedly after the director's cut, some things were taken out and changed, and then the <laughs> final release was shown. Yeah, but he never approved that. Yeah, so uh, I've heard some conspiracies about that one. We might touch on that because you know we every movie we always see that gets released in the theaters is the director's cut. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's one of those where I'm like, well. Okay, it's not like he was a young person. Right. When he made that He film. was not in good health at yeah. all. Like, I mean, I get it. I get it. I get the angle, but it's like, okay, let's be realistic here too. Right. Um but back to the back to the shining. I mean, I'm in total agreement with you. I think that the big thing is the Apollo 11 jumper. Like everything else, everything else just seems like there's possible other explanations, but that specific scene on the carpet. Yeah. Like the way that it's I mean, the way that it's staged, I mean, you said it, like, Kubrick's not the type of guy who's just like, yeah, just put your toys down on the floor, like, to the actor. I mean, for God's sakes, he, like, drove Shelley Duvall crazy. Well, I mean, poor Shelley Duvall is also being taken advantage of by Dr. Phil. <laughs> yeah. You seen that? Uh, yeah. But here's my take on that. Like, Dr. Phil's, very like, the very nature of a show like that is exploitative. Yeah. Like you either are okay with the exploitation of regular people who have mental <laughs> problems or you're, or you're not okay with it. Like yeah. you can't, you can't just be like, well, he shouldn't have shown Shelly Duvall in that state. Well, and also I don't know if he's really like helping her by like, yeah, yeah he just says he's going to get her help. Yeah. I mean, but I don't know what Dr. happened, Phil's what happened Dr. after that? Did he do anything? They just kind of like follow her around and like, Cause sometimes, sometimes Dr. Phil does like yeah. hook you up with a real, oh, like, he hooks you up. <laughs> 
He's got the hookup. No, but he like actually he gets, gets you, you to a hookups. real doctor. Hooks you up with local sexy singles in your local, area. Local singles. Who want to talk to you. <laughs> and they're within two they're miles. these local sexy singles. So you're telling me that local sexy singles in your area want to talk to you? Why are you so hair triggered? Why are you so horny for these local sexy singles? You've got to quit thinking about <laughs> horny milfs and start thinking about yourself. You got to stop watching Chatterbait online and you got to clean your room and get your life in order. Listen to your mom and dad. There are people who love you and who don't want to talk sexy to you for $4.99 a minute. Your mom and dad will talk for you to free, to you for free, <laughs> but it won't be sexy. Anyway, when we come back, <laughs> when we come back, we Robin, gotta catch me outside, girl. Robin and I make love on the stage <laughs> for the entire audience to see. Um, because I guess we can we can debunk a couple of them, right? Like all work and no play. It's like you're looking. That's confirmation bias. You're looking for something that's not there. The photograph um, at the end of the film, yeah, was taken before, and they superimposed Jack onto it. They they put they put Jack Nicholson's face only on it, right? So if we talk about the pose of the person in the photo, Kubrick had nothing to do with that. It now, could still mean Bahamut, sure. It still could, and it could still relate to something else. Sure, sure, sure. It could, uh, and maybe maybe Kubrick picked that specific photo for that reason, but. You know, it's like when people say, oh, the note and this and that, that's how the original photo was. Right. The only thing they put on there was Jack Nicholson's face. Um, you know, the crone is in there in the film. She could mean a ton of different things. Uh, I mean, it's clear. It's clear from watching the film what the what it's trying to convey, I think, in the film. The real like issue that people have with it is oh this this person doesn't have another acting credit and that is bizarre is it though? you gotta admit it is pretty it's pretty bizarre i, I mean i think that's billy gibson bias. and bill gibson i think that's confirmation bias too. a little bit because but it's still weird how like we're 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 ignoring the fact that how many other people have uh like very few IMDb roles. Look, we were just talking not that long ago about what's eating Gilbert Grape. Or, yeah, and the mom in that, uh, that lady was n- had no acting roles prior to that movie. It could have just been that Kubrick was like, "This old lady looks good. She's good. He- he's the one with the vision." Yeah, this is what my diseased crone looks like. We don't know. Maybe she was the only old lady that was willing to get fucking totally nude and show her fucking uh. Sure, fucking bush on camera. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I know. I've been there. And her boobs. Her bush and her boobs. Yeah. And while also being covered in gross practical effect makeup because it's not CGI. No. Yeah. She this is this is the covered in goopy like uh, latex. This is the 70s. They couldn't. Well, I mean, the 70s. Yeah. Well, I don't think they had like CGI stuff. It's not like it is today where lena headley uh there would never have been an old woman to begin with it would have yeah. all been well yeah CGI. they could have cgi'd her whole body that's true but yeah famously in the uh game of thrones you see lena headley's character cersei as uh, nude in in a scene yeah in a few scenes those are all body doubles yeah with her head superimposed on mm-hmm. because she has a 
in her contract, it's she won't do nude scenes. Yeah. So they just find a body double who looks like her body and who's willing to be nude. And yeah, they go. go for yeah. Them. A lot of people in that had butt doubles in Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They didn't want to be nude. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. They're never nudes. You guys seen that show? Rusted Development? <laughs> now that's a good show. Here's the conspiracy theory. Why does Fox keep getting rid of all these great shows? They cancel Family Guy. They canceled Rusted Development. Those were the only two. They canceled King of the Hill and then they brought it back and it was bad. I think. They brought it back? Or maybe it just went on hiatus and it came back and it like wasn't very good. Mm. That's what happens. The later seasons were bad. That's what happens. <laughs> King of the Hill, though, is... Uh, Futurama got canceled? Yeah, and then brought Should have never come back. It was very bad. We just kind of pretend those don't exist. Yeah. Um, First four seasons of Futurama are the whew. the money seasons. So good. That's the money shot. Um, yeah, but, you know, uh, what else is there? Um, the stuff in the beginning. Okay, you got the patriotic. Yes, he looks a lot like JFK. Also easily interpreted as uh, America, but not for the moon landing conspiracy, for the slaughter mm-hmm. of Native Americans. Yeah. For something dealing with the Holocaust, for something that you made up in your fanfic, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I think it's that, pretty obvious that he's trying to show patriotism through that. He's, right? he's like, trying to he's trying to convey something, but well, we don't know the it reason. Made, maybe is not like that he had a deal with the government to fake the moon landing footage, but he's definitely trying to convey something patriotic there with the manager of the hotel because it's a little on the nose. Yeah, I mean, it's like the guy does look like JFK. I mean, the hair alone is like <laughs> he's wearing a wig. Yeah, the actor is wearing a wig. Yeah, that they purposely chose so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's those things where it's like a conscious decision, the flags in there, the eagle. Like, yeah, he's making a point, but we don't know exactly what the point he's making is. Okay, so then you're kind of getting into the food pantry stuff. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I don't know why props are chosen in films, you know? Yeah. The and, gold room has lots of different meanings. Yeah. I mean, and at some point... um, like, what's one thing we know about Kubrick is that he's like a he's he's meticulous in the way that he sets up shots and he has like a commitment to realism. So maybe it's entirely possible that, you know, it's like, I mean, I don't know, the golden rays like that Apollo emits golden rays and it's thirty nine hundred and it's, you know, launch pad thirty nine. Like, is it possible that he, like, buried something that deep in the film? Possibly. But I think more likely than not, it's like, oh, what does an actual, what would an actual, like, walk-in food pantry look like? What would be in there? That we would have also access to for the location we're filming at. Yeah, he probably (laughs) went to, like, a hotel or something and was like, let's copy this let's take pictures and that's not to say that kubrick also didn't just do stuff because it looked good yeah because there's deleted deleted scenes from the shining that you can look up on youtube where one of the most iconic shots from the shining is um jack is jack is like leaning against the locked door of the food pantry and he's telling wendy like you're gonna be sorry like i'm gonna get out blah 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 and they're shooting kubrick's laying on the floor shooting up so they're looking up at Jack, who's like looming over the camera, but looking forward at the door. It's an iconic shot. Kubrick literally chose it. He was like, oh, that looked cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think. I guess it's like me. It's just like, this would look really cool. <laughs> I think you actually are making like a really good point with that. Thanks. Because, I'm smart. Um, I read a quote from Kubrick where he said, um, one of the things he said is that people watch his films too much 
people people are listening to his films, but they're not watching it enough with their eyes. Like that he's trying to tell them a story. He's a visual visuals. guy. Yeah. 2001 was a visual story that, that Kubrick said like didn't need dialogue. Yeah. It and was it was a visual it's very space sparse opera in terms of oh, yeah. like dialogue. I like, fell asleep one time watching it. <laughs> but I'm not for it's, but it's but it's a it's I also a, think Blade Runner is a boring fucking movie. I'll fucking say it. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off. Uh I mean but 2001 is like visually like striking. It's beautiful. It's incredible. Yeah. And like I remember the first time I watched it, I don't know, I think I was a teenager and we were watching it like on TV, yeah, with my family yeah, at home. You loaded, lit it up a little doobie. You just came home from a party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, What's up, mom and dad? And they were like, "Let us hit that thing," because <laughs> I had cool effing parents. Yeah, you had hippie dude. parents, dude. Uh, but we were watching this uh, one night, and I, I like, even as a teenager, like I was struck by it. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, it's it's incredible, and I'm like, I'm like, when did they make this movie? Like, I'm hitting the little info button on the TV because I'm like, this is unbelievable for like the 1960s it's incredible that this was produced then oh yeah i mean it's an achievement it's, it's revolutionary yeah so i mean that makes a lot of sense to me that like i mean with the twins kubrick probably he just had a look in mind or he thought something would look better than what was already there like he probably made changes just because of the aesthetic of it let alone you know rather than because there's some illusion we're supposed to to draw from that that it's supposed to point us to some other thing. Um, there's a lot of other really small ones too that you know you can sit here and nitpick like all the bears. There's a lot of bear imagery. There's bears, not yeah. those kinds of bears. Yeah. <laughs> um, not the uh, you know gay subculture of of bears, right? But teddy bears. There's a a scene with a bear giving uh. A bear job. <laughs> Wait, no. A bear job. Is that what they call it? When a bear gives you a blow job? I guess so. <laughs> a bear job? A bear job to somebody and they say like, oh, it's bears. It's Russia. It symbolizes Russia. Yeah. It's like, oh, maybe, yeah. That's yeah. a fucking stretch, dude. <laughs> the sweater. I don't know what to make of the sweater. The sweater, the sweater is by far... I mean, I think that I think I mean, we've talked about it. Like a lot of these other things you can either debunk or you could say it's not clear. But that is obviously that's so on the nose. He could have chosen him to wear anything. It could have been literally a, a like a plain shirt. Yeah. Like the fact that there's the Apollo that it's an Apollo 11 rocket ship like it, it's trying to say something. Right. But I mean, I think to understand it, you have to understand the rest of the context of what he's trying to say. And so if he's not trying to say, um, you know, that I, oh, I faked the moon landing and here's a bunch of clues about it. Like it's fitting into this narrative that he's weaving for some other purpose. Like he, 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 he did that for a reason. Is it possible though, that it's, it was just another aesthetic choice it's that possible. he saw that sweater somewhere and was like, this looks, this is the perfect thing that I want. Like my little, the little Danny that I want in this movie is a little guy who's like being like raised to be patriotic and stuff. Right. Like, and he has this cause that's what he, you know, like maybe, I mean, it's gotta be some kind of, there's some thread there and maybe, but maybe it is just like, 
It's, There's lots of themes of patriotism and, yeah. and things like that. So it could have been a reference to that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And there could have also been something maybe just, like you said, visually, like Danny is standing up and he's got the rocket and like, this is the point of the film where it starts to take off. Yeah. And like maybe a rocket. Maybe it's like to Kubrick, the moon represented like this great unknown. And, you know, we went there. Right. And like Danny, Danny is like little Patriot man with his little American flag, but he's also the the moon rocket and he went you know to the to place the unknown yeah to the unknown which is room 237 and then where the scarred him. Stuff yeah. yeah and he gets we didn't talk about then the script danny goes there and gets like visibly scarred and hurt and then yeah. wendy thinks it was jack and then jack's like i didn't do it and then um she's worried that you know and jack's like don't fucking worry blah 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 i'm going crazy but it's maybe it's more about loss of innocence as a as a nation True. Then it is about like, then it is a stand-in for Kubrick himself. And there's a lot of things that tie to Kubrick. And who's to say that, you know, Kubrick didn't get tired of the limelight and the fame and the Hollywood elite. Um, I, I'm, I bet that could be incredibly tiring and taxing on who you are. By the, by the time, by the time the shining was being shot, uh, it was already established by some people that they felt like Kubrick had faked the footage. Right. So, I mean, going back to saying that maybe he's cheeky, maybe he dresses Danny this way um, just as like to make us talk about it. To make us talk about it. When it's really nothing other than him like playing a prank. Yeah. I mean, it could literally be like, and maybe he's telling us don't mess with this because I'll come after you. <laughs> maybe i mean we can't know the guy never he's dead and he never talked about it so yeah. you know there was a uh there was a youtube video that floated around for a little while that showed kubrick admitting that he faked it but then that was proven to be that was a fake video it was a fake video that was, fake that video. was also proved yeah debunked and proven yeah because the guy doesn't actually look like or sound like kubrick yeah and then the video was deleted you can't <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's tough, you know, uh, you, you seem like you've got, you've if got, you take out all the moon landing shit and just make it about, you know, Kubrick's inner struggle and with fame, it also makes sense because like I said, he became super reclusive after yeah the shining and. I think it just kind of starts to make sense. He just wanted to make like a war movie, a horror movie. He made Barry Lyndon, which people are like, mm. <laughs> um, probably the least known, but also incredibly accurate and well detailed movie. Um, he just kind of wanted to make movies and be left alone. Yeah. So maybe this is him saying, like, this is my inner turmoil. This is my inner struggle. Yeah. My inner whatever. I want to be left alone and just do what I want to do. And, you know, I could see why The Shining would appeal to him. Did you did you read about, like, Stephen King's inspiration for it? A little bit, but what are you going to say? Well, you know, Stephen King had written, um, like, Salem's Lot and uh, another book. Um, and it's like, you know, 
he famously sets things in Maine because that's where he lives. Right. And so these were both set in Maine and he decided he wanted to get like a change of venue for his next book. And so he and his wife booked a hotel. He like apparently just randomly picked a spot on the map. Like he, he laid out an atlas and then just like closed his eyes and put his finger down and it landed on Boulder, Colorado. So he and his wife pack up and they go to this hotel uh, in Colorado and they get there at the end of the season. So the hotel's like ready to shut down. Uh, so they're the only two people staying in the hotel. Oh, that's creepy. And so it's like, you know, they stayed in room uh, 217 and uh, I think, and it was supposedly haunted. Um, and, you know, he talks about like waking up the first night, like with all these, like he had this, uh, this nightmare about his like son um, playing in the hallway and like, being chased by him or something. Right, uh, right. And he wakes up in a cold sweat and he just like sits the rest of the night, like smoking a cigarette, looking out at the Rockies. And he like put the whole book in his mind then. And, you know, he's talking about like they're in the, they're in the, the dining room and like all the tables are like put up, like the chairs are on the tables and it's just their table that's set. Uh, and they had like no options because, you know, they weren't like, the whole menu wasn't available. Right. So it's like they just ate whatever they brought them uh, and stuff like that. So, I mean, I guess from that inspiration and where the, the story goes, like, I mean, uh, it feels like if Kubrick's trying to like, you know, show himself as like needing a change and like, you know, the changes that have undergone in his own like personal life from his increased fame, like this seems like something that probably spoke to him. The stress on his marriage, the yeah. elite of the gold room saying he could have whatever he wants for free. It all makes sense. Mm-hmm. The government, um, he getting free passes on stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And maybe it's, I mean, I think that uh, it probably makes a lot more sense to say that it's confessional personally mm-hmm. than rather than like, confessional about like oh i think the moon landing <laughs> yeah I, I mean you know um it's tough there's a lot of different ways to interpret it yeah um but perhaps andy unless you have any other points you want to bring up um any other areas uh should we get to our verdicts yeah let's get to those verdicts all right andy you told me you had something that would floor me. Um, I'm ready to be floored. <laughs> um, you're ready to be floored. Um, well, uh, I I think I think that you're going to be less floored. Okay, Andy. Well, now you're a liar. <laughs> because... You're telling me I'm going to be floored. You'd sure me I'm going to be floored. And all of a sudden I see your fucking movie where I'm going to be floored. Um, and I'm not floored. I'm thinking, what is this about? The premise behind the film changed <laughs> while we uh, were in post-production. So um, here's what I'm going to say. Uh, like, okay, we're going to assume that the moon landing was faked. The I mean, real- you can you can give a quick verdict on based on like... All right, if, I, if I'm going to give a real verdict on this well, I don't know. and go back, I mean, okay. I guess we haven't really looked into we'll, all the we'll, evidence. We'll save it. We'll save it. Um, we'll save it. I might answer the the question: Do we think that possibly they could have filmed a fake? Yeah, you know, I'll say it's plausible that a fake yeah. was filmed. Yeah. Uh, how do I feel about 
that Stanley Kubrick did it though, and that he hid clues in The Shining, and we're supposed to take that away. I'm saying less than plausible. Whoa! And here's why I say that, Art. Um, we we just discussed it. I mean. So many of the things seem like they could be debunked. These supposed clues that point to the faking of the moon landing, that the clues were buried in The Shining. I just don't find it very compelling that that's for sure what Stanley Kubrick's trying to tell us. I mean, um, if they faked it, I mean, he seems like he would be a good choice to be the director to like do it because of his meticulousness uh, in things, but... Uh, at the same time, I, you know, I, I don't know. I just, it doesn't, to me, I just don't find it so compelling. There's a lot of weird stuff uh, for sure about The Shining and a lot of interesting things. Um, but, I, you know, do I, does it like exactly match up to me? Nah, not exactly. So, I mean, I think it's plausible that NASA could have had some fake moon moon footage. Um, but can we look at the shining and say that there's proof that Stanley Kubrick is trying to confess that he did it less than plausible. Wow. Somewhere between case closed and plausible. Jeez. You just lowered it. That's no, it's plausible just, smidge. Okay. Well then we'll go plausible smidge. Jeez. You just lowered it again. <laughs> Between plausible smidge and and plausible. Well, that... Less than plausible is yeah, what I'm Okay, to say. less than plausible. Yeah. Well, but you said something different. You said case closed. Oh, no, I said between Plausible, less than plausible, plausible smidge, plausible molecule. Okay. <laughs> case closed. <laughs> Look, I just messed up. I forget all the different rankings. So it's more than plausible smidge, but it's not plausible. Okay. So it's less than plausible. Gotcha. That's my verdict. Gotcha. I'm um, Judge Andy. Did they probably fake a fake moon landing? Just to have it in case. Plausible plus. Whoa. Above plausible. I don't, why? It just makes sense to me that they would do that. We have not explored all the reasons of it. Do I, you know, do I think that we never went to the moon? No. I think we went to the moon for sure. I don't think there's anything on the moon, probably. Just big as boring. The stuff we left there. Dumb ass rock. It's the big dumb stupid rock, dude. We left stuff there. Yeah. I'm all about Mars, baby. <laughs> yeah, we left stuff there. Yeah, that stuff's on the moon. Yeah. And there's debunks for all the main points that we brought up, you know? Yeah. But I'm still saying that I think that, like, given the climate of the time, given that what we talked about, about history being told by the victors... I think it's plausible plus that America would say, all right, let's have a backup in case this shit doesn't work because we don't want to look like fucking assholes. Yeah. You know, that's our MO. That's what we do. We're the USA, baby. Okay. Oh, boy. Was Stanley Kubrick the guy to do it? And did he put messages in The Shining? Plausible. Mm, wow. Right down the middle. You're uh, you're more optimistic than me. I think there's just so many ways you can interpret that film that, 
you know, like I know we just spent a whole bunch of time kind of saying like it could mean anything and it could, but you know, it could mean the moon landing conspiracy. It yes. can also mean Native Americans. It could mean it anything. Can it can also mean, mean anything. Stanley Kubrick's feelings on fame and fortune. Yeah. Uh, so I just have to go plausible. I think Stanley Kubrick, you know, if you're going to fake a moon landing and show it to millions of people, fuck, that's your fucking guy. <laughs> that's your fucking guy. He's not going to fuck up. Yeah. I mean, do I think Stanley Kubrick is the director that they got? Probably. If they're going to get a director, highly plausible it's Stanley Kubrick. If they did it. If they did it. Here's how they did it. They got Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> Very... <laughs> Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. He already proved he's more than capable of uh, both the technical aspects of a film and the story aspects of a film. So, yeah. Um, that's what I think. Listeners, let us know what you think. What do we get right? What do we get wrong? Yeah. What do you think let of this story? Use the hashtag. Cood uh, Brick Moon Landing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Kudbrick moon landing? Kudbrick moon landing. That's a long hashtag. You're not going to have a lot of characters, but that's okay. <laughs> you <laughs> Or Kudbrick moon hoax. Either one. There you go. And let us know your thoughts. Tweet at us at Mr. Bunker Pod. Mr. Bunker Pod. Um, Andy... What would you say if you were the first person to land on the moon? Oh, fuck! I'm on the moon! <laughs> I was just thinking about this uh, a little bit ago. Like, <laughs> Imagine the terror you probably would feel if you had to open that door and go out to the moon. I'd be Dude. like... The fucking balls! Neil Armstrong's got a set of balls on him. Going to space is fucking nuts and then he went some he went the place nobody's ever been before no human beings ever been to the moon i mean think about that he flips open the door and walks out like i'd be like they were on that lunar mod they were in the module for a while yeah can you imagine just the tension of just being like holy shit we're fucking here on the moon (laughs) are we ever gonna get home yeah i mean getting to the moon is one thing but then like getting home has to be even scarier yeah that's fucking, the thing. Like, at least when you're going to the moon, you're in a giant rocket. You're like, well, I'm in my giant rocket. It could explode, sure. But then coming back, you're in this, like, little tiny capsule that could blow up yeah. upon reentry. Yeah. You're just like, I hope all those nerds got all their calculations right. <laughs> those freaking I hope those fucking dweebs nerds. didn't forget to carry the two. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Some shit like the Titanic happens where they uh, didn't measure the bolts correctly for yeah. the... For the uh, to account for the freezing of uh, whatever, whatever happened on the Titanic, something with the bolts. <laughs> it's the bolts. Uh, the San Diego Chargers. So fucking nuts. Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, do you think that we're gonna see? I think I feel like in our lifetime we're gonna see more accessible space travel. I think it already exists. More accessible, I mean, whereas. Regular humans can afford it in the way they oh, can afford mean, a plane ticket. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I think so. I mean, in our lifetimes, maybe. Maybe. I mean, it's hard to say. 
I think that it uh, it's going to happen eventually, obviously. But I mean, I don't know if it'll be in our lifetimes. I mean, not mine, yours maybe. You really have that low of an opinion on technology, huh? No, that low of an opinion on my life expectancy. <laughs> So you're saying it's not going to happen in the next couple of days. <laughs> next week. I don't think we'll have it in the next seven years. So <laughs> I probably not in my lifetime. Oh God. Um, it's fucking bananas, man, to go out there to space. It's so fucking crazy. <laughs> it's bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. And that's what we'll be covering next week. Gwen Stefani's hit. That shit is bananas. It was about the moon landing. <laughs> Buggle up. I think we might have been, were we wrong when we said that JFK is the granddaddy of all of all conspiracies or is the moon landing? JFK is. JFK came first. Yeah. He always did. I just, I think that that has more believers. But at the same time, people were pretty, like, open to accepting that as conspiracy. Like, for example... In Sean Connery's, I know that you know this fact, Andy, in Sean Connery's last Bond film, uh, he's being chased and he gets onto a set of the moon landing and he goes into a little moon rover and drives away and then like crashes it through a wall. That's in the film Diamonds Are Forever. Right. Yeah. So filmmakers were kind of open to being like, yeah, sure. This is funny. Yeah. People think the moon landing was faked. Yeah, I think, but I think that was like. That was being cheeky. Yeah, exactly. I don't think film. they weren't like, this was real. It's like, right. it's a joke, you know? Yeah. Um, I, but I think it was a, it's a conspiracy that people are willing to. Jill St. John. <laughs> Suck it to me. It's my Nixon. Ooh, good. Yeah, yours is good. Thank you. Um, anyway, Andy, uh, any any last thoughts before we blast on out of here? A uh, couple things before we leave our hotel. Check out, check out. Couple things. Oh, okay. Um, man, it sounds like Kubrick was freaking awful to Shelley Duvall on the set. In the deleted scenes that I see, she's like trying to talk to him about stuff, and he's like kind of ignoring her and being a dick. Yeah, he told he told all the people like don't sympathize with her and like like isolated her from the crew and the cast you know he wants to get the best performance possible and she is underrated in that film a lot of people always talk about jack nicholson's performance which in his own right great performance um but jack nicholson also that's kind of in his wheelhouse yeah now shelly duvall was known for playing very eccentric characters she was a very well-known eccentric character actress played olive oil uh, in the Popeye film, by the way, uh, opposite Robin Williams, yeah. uh, by the way, Harry Nilsson did the music for that film. Oh, that was a flop. That movie did not do well. No, it did not. Uh, anyway, yeah, I think underrated in her performance and direct actors are crazy. Fucking Hollywood's nuts. The things that they'll do to I- like... I mean, no. I understand what you're saying about Kubrick, like putting her in the right mindset or like tricking her into giving a better performance than what she might do. Oh, it doesn't. Own. I'm not saying but, it's right. Yeah. The uh, I mean, it's like borderline abusive. It's it's borderline. It's like if it is, it's maybe it's not even a way. Right. Yeah, like, maybe it is tra- just straight up abusive. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, 
exasperating you... people to make them do a scene 127 times. That like... scene, by the way, that's the baseball bat scene where Shelly's confronting Jack with the baseball bat. And it's a long scene. Yeah. It's a long one take, one shot, kind of like, and they're walking up the stairs backwards. It's not like... She was she was in uh, England, in the UK, for like over a year shooting this thing. And she described it as like crying 12 hours a day. Yeah. Her hair fell out. Yeah. She during, was so stressed. She lost clumps of hair. And there's a deleted scene where she, you know, and she, Shelley Duvall has this very like mousy, uh, she's a bizarre looking, she's, you know, she's very mousy. It makes sense that she's kind of in this horror film. She's got these big eyes and this mm-hmm. little mousy face and um, this kind of long black hair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's like, oh, my my hair is falling out. Look, it's falling out in clumps. And she's got that like, she's got a interesting uh, vocal pattern and cadence. And uh, Kubrick's just like, yeah, I don't really give a shit. Yeah. I don't care that your fucking hair is falling out. Like he's yeah. just ignoring her. Doesn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. It's terrible. And now Shelly Duvall is clearly needs some help. Professional help. Professional help. I hope that she got it. I don't know what's, I don't know what's up with her. Um, you know, but, um, yeah, uh, terrible. Yeah. That's anything else you wanted to bring up or just that? No, I brought them up at the same time because I wanted to bring up uh, the Harry Nilsson fact. Oh. Uh, and I wanted to say that uh, Kubrick was terrible to to Shelley Duvall from the sounds of it. Yeah, he was, uh, he was a strict guy. So it wasn't all peaches and cream. Yeah. It's very true. You know it wasn't all strawberries and clotted cream at Wimbledon. I think that's a Simpsons reference that went over my head. No, I mean, Krusty goes to Wimbledon and he's got an iconic, like, you know, shot of himself eating strawberries. Uh, But that's just a general Wimbledon reference. Oh, okay. Uh, I've never heard of it. Anyway. You've never heard of Wimbledon? No, and I refuse to believe that it's real. Okay. Well, coming up next, uh, Wimbledon. Is it real? (laughs) The answer is yes. Listeners, uh, it's time to check out of the Overlook Hotel. The Bunker Look Hotel. Uh, that was that was uh, the Bunker Hotel for the titular Mr. Bunker and for my, here we go, Fulgerant. <laughs> what? Co-host, Andy Hart. <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm Arthur Fulgerant. Saying that was the whole enchilada. Here's the enchilada. <laughs> Hey there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. 
We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon.